0: talk with me this is Marcia Epstein at my lovely dining room table in Lawrence Kansas I say that with a laugh it's it's cool that I get to join people in conversation have them share some of their work when they're musicians and poets We get to share that with you all who are listening, whenever you're listening, maybe you learned about somebody whose work you didn't know, and as you're going to hear again and again, my hope is that you will buy some of that work, because that's kind of what makes the world go round, is that we put our time and money places that are important to us, and if you love art, then find your ways of supporting it, as well as creating it if you're one of those people. Today, my guest, this is a, a special treat, that I, and I know I say that a lot, but here's this thing. There are some poets who I've gotten to know and become friends with through this podcast, and some of those people are particularly special to me. And sitting here in my dining room with this beautiful little painting of my dog, that poet, photographer, and painter Rob Plath in New York, um, painted for me, you know. I'm, I I always get to think about Rob when I'm recording, and Rob is really the reason that I'm connecting with my guest today. Rob and I were talking about sort of his history of publication, and how you know, a thing you do if 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 you're one of the poets listening, and maybe if you're one of the newer poets in terms of newer to publication poets, you know, part of how you're going to find where to you might be published is you're going to read, read, read people, and you're going to follow their trails of, well, where are they published? What journals have their their work? What publishers are publishing their books, you know? And so you get to know sort of who's a good fit for you. And so Rob and I were talking about his early exploration of places to be published And how sometimes the certain journals would would give some examples and say, you know, some of the the work that we're most proud of publishing is blah, 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 you know, this person's work. And so it gives you a feel for sort of the kind of thing they're looking for. And in case you hadn't guessed, that's a huge thing to know. Send your work where it's most likely to fit, not just because you found that name someplace. But anyway... Rob says, so one day, you know, I'm doing this, I'm, you know, doing my my research on where to publish and, you know, and I'm, I'm feeling a little, you know, it's like this is hard and all of that. And so I get to this publication and this time it mentions that Nerve Cowboy is interested in work. Like, for example, this poem by Rob Plath. And he's like, oh my gosh, these guys are saying I'm the kind of poet that they want in their journal. And what a thrill that was. And so that got me knowing, man, I need to find out about Nerve Cowboy. I actually hadn't seen the journal. Um, I'm sure on social media I had crossed paths with the journal name and with the founder's name, but I hadn't really explored that yet. So all that long introduction with that big shout out to Nerve Cowboy and Rob
1: Platt,
0: Joseph Shields to talk
1: with me. Hey. Hi, Marcia. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah. I'm honored, I'm... The, the, yeah. I'm honored that Rob, that Rob mentioned us. It's, um, it's it's a great honor and he's he's such a good writer.
0: I'm glad to have you say that, because then I was thinking, oh, man, Joseph's going to go, I don't know who that
1: (laughs) just kidding. kidding. (laughs) No, no, I remember, I believe, I think it was Paul Augustino a long time ago, um, referred Rob to the journal, and and then when I got his stuff, it's like, Almost every time there was something in there that, that hit us just right. Cool.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So so tell us a little bit about you as well as about Nerve Cowboy, but sort of who and where are you, Mr. Joseph Shields?
1: Um, well, I live in Austin, Texas. I've been uh, doing Nerve Cowboy since 1996. I started sending out poetry in the early 90s, probably 92, 93, and a colleague of mine, Jerry Hagen, and I sort of came to a mutual conclusion like, hey, I think we can do a magazine. And and so we we started and we were like, all right, but how can we get people to submit to it? Uh-huh. So I just happened to live in the neighborhood in the same neighborhood as um, Albert Huffstickler, who is uh, kind of a legendary Austin national poet. He's he's since passed away, but really phenomenal writer. And he said, well, kid, let me tell you what I'll do. I'll send out a letter to all my friends and, and hopefully they'll send you something. Cool. And that's how it all started. So that's, that's kind of how we got Nerve Cowboy off the ground. Yeah. That's very
0: cool. See, I love the stories of different generations of poets connecting And every time I say that, I smile and I say, shout out to Scott Silsby. Scott has this idea, and I'm hoping it comes to reality. Doing an anthology that would be younger poets telling stories of older poets telling stories. And I think that would be awesome. (laughs) That's really cool. You you could be part of it because that's a big part of how Nerve Cowboy got to be going. That's cool. That's
1: very cool. Yeah, Albert used to Albert used to sit outside of um, the uh, Hyde Park Bakery and you know, drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and come over there. We'd talk about magazines we were submitting to, which ones were slow, which ones were good, which ones were not so good, and uh it's so funny. And then you go, Hey, kid wanna come over to my apartment and look at some art. And I'd have my like two I'd have my two year i have like my like my one year old with me and a stroller. And so yeah, 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 sure, Albert. So if we go over there, look at some art. He'd give me some poems, we'd talk about it a little bit more. Just such a cool that's, guy. That's so fun.
0: It's so funny to me. Like Bill, Ga- I don't know if you if you've met Bill Gaynor or know his work, but he's a, a long time poet in Northern California, and and he does refer like that. He refers to people as kid, and it cracks me up when he does that. Uh-huh. So, like I, I love that. That you know, you want to come to my apartment and see some art. Like, ooh yeah, ooh no, am I supposed to do this? <laughs> That's cool. That's yeah,
1: cool. he's yeah, he's really interesting. You know, really sweet, really sweet guy. So he oh, he helped me great. a lot in terms of, in terms of you know, getting it off the ground. And then once it was off the ground, it was just kind of, I can't believe it's been 22 years now and we're still doing yeah. it.
0: That's impressive in so many ways because it's a huge amount of work, you know, and, and you're doing great stuff with this combination. You know, like it was fun for me to look at um, the – and I say, look at, because there's art as well as poetry and their music reviews. And one of the issues that I have here has photographs by Alexis, her own Fancher, as well as poetry by her. And so it's like, oh, cool. I love Alexis's photographs as well as her poems, you know. And so there are all these things together. And and I'm going to say, I think it's wonderful that this is in print and people buy this work, and there are a lot of things to me about that. One is one of the few things that I guess I collect uh, um, is poetry. In terms of books, I'm not a I'm not a like a person who wants a lot of stuff around. I don't buy a lot of things that aren't pretty essential. Um, I don't you know it's just like sort of my my lifestyle um, for a lot of reasons is um, although we have this wonderful old house and we have a dog too um, we you know I, I don't I don't buy a lot of decorative stuff that kind of stuff that people do, but I love to have a book that I can pick back up and I can <laughs> hey pop I can savor those words. Maybe I've heard that person read, whether it's been on the podcast, or maybe it's been at a reading, and and I love that. And I and I loan my books. I you know I keep track of them, but but I'm willing to to loan too, and encourage other people to get to know people's works. I think it's I, for me, having it in paper is a really a important part of the experience. Um, there's there's a slowness. There's a there's a different. Even if it, if you didn't include art, you know the the words on the page, to me, are so different on paper than looking at them on the screen on my computer, you know. And and I encourage people to also think about it. Like things that are important for us, again, we need to invest some money in and and it doesn't mean that you know you have to have a budget of thousands of dollars a year to spend on art but but buy that chapbook for 10 bucks or 15 bucks or whatever you know buy nerve cowboy i think it was at 7 dollars an issue and it's really it's very reasonable and and really support and encourage and appreciate art in that way you know it's not just what you can get for free <laughs> I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. always been. You know, and it I think I think having it be a print magazine has always been something really important to me that you can you can walk around with it, it's in your hand, it's it's tangible. I mean, yeah. no, I have no issues with it with online publications as well because it does get it gets stuff out faster to people and as long as the, you know, the quality maintains that's good. But um but having, you know, I like the I like the visual art perspective mm-hmm. of having um a print magazine and that's something that was always really important like for instance um a few years ago actually it was probably about five years ago um Alyssa Yates joined Nerve Cowboy she was a she worked with me and um initially she was like well why don't you just do it online and I was like yeah but I don't know that that's gonna I don't know that that's what I want I don't know that that's mm-hmm. what the people that get Nerve Cowboy want." Mm-hmm. And 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 so, like having the having the color print on the on the cover sometimes, and mm-hmm. and just the black and white inside, and how everything matches up. Like we think a lot about what artwork matches up with different poems, and how mm-hmm. the just kind of how the whole product comes together, as mm-hmm. opposed to kind of an online thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's a big thing. And tell us about. The name. I'm always interested in words, of course. And so, tell us how it came to be, Nerve Cowboy.
1: That's funny. Um, so, I was a, a, a Peace Corps volunteer in Jamaica for two and a half years, and um, and that's actually where where I met my wife. And one of her friends came down to visit, and she was she was dating a guy who he never got up off the couch. He was just like driving her crazy and you know she was getting ready to break up with him and um and she's like you know the guy just he just finds that one simple raw nerve of mine uh-huh. grabs it and rides it like a cowboy uh-huh. and, so, and so that's kind of where the name came from
0: that's cool. and Then a few years and
1: then and then i remember that story like four years later when i started the magazine I was like, "All right, I think it hits, and we're in Texas. It kind of <laughs> makes sense there." Sometimes we get some sort of hokey cowboy poetry every once in a mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. for people not not knowing exactly what we're about.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But um, but yeah, that's where it came from.
0: That's funny,
1: that that, that I
0: can imagine that story. You know, because I'm I'm looking. You know, it's like nerve cowboy. What what you know? What kind of meaning is that? And then you know, just kind of glancing at it, and I thought, well. I just glanced at it. I actually might think it said never cowboy. I don't think that has anything to do with it. But it's just, you know, kind of, it, it always intrigues me. The, the you know, what, what are the different kind of layers of meanings, you know? And, God, you know, a cowboy, what's I, a cowboy? Yeah.
1: I recently got a letter from somebody who was upset that he, his work wasn't accepted. And he <laughs> referred to us as numb cowgirls ah that pisses me off (laughs) i know it's like either you know but that you know and and then he had this letter that kind of went along with it along those lines and i was like it's all right you sent me one of these letters four years ago and we really that's that, that kind of sealed your fate
0: yeah 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 wow weird but
1: yeah, Let's use gender as part of the slam—that's like, come on. But it's man. so, but it's so, but it's so rare to get one of those letters though That's from fair. somebody. Everyone That's understands fair. the process, and you know, yeah. and one of the things is, it's not that just because the poem isn't accepted, it's not because the poem isn't good. It's just because it didn't hit us right. Right. It doesn't mean it's not going to hit somebody else right. Right. It also you know, doesn't so I mean it I, is good, though. I,
0: I, you know what I mean? I mean, sometimes I'm sure you mm-hmm, get stuff sure. like this. Actually, isn't very good, probably for oh. anybody at this moment. And I'm not saying you say that to, oh the, sure. to the, right? But I mean, you know, I, 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 you know, I've heard so many stories over. I've I've done this show four years now, and and even though it was different at the beginning, I I had some writers that were that i started i pretty early on i started um including poets as guests and then now that's almost exclusively but anyway i remember talking to somebody um, her name is denise lowe and she was one of the poets laureate of kansas which sounds so stuffy to me and then every freaking poet lord laureate i've met they're these amazing, wacky, creative, you know, they're, they're not, they're not whatever I thought a poet laureate would be. Anyway, so Denise is talking about how, you know, part of, part of the role of a poet laureate is to go, you know, and do readings and host readings and, you know, sometimes do some workshops on poetry. And so, so this person comes up to her and Denise is, you know, this, a wonderful writer, a wonderful person, um, and has been writing for years. And this woman comes up, is like, and tell her how, you know, well, yeah, you know, I really love your work, and now I started writing poetry, and I've been writing about six months, and I'm about as good as you are. And I'm like, oh my god, how rude! <laughs> how stupid! You know, it's like, no, you're not as good as Denise Lowe because you picked up a pencil six months ago. You know, it's like, wow, that's crazy that's crazy
1: yeah you know it's interesting though. I've seen um, you know writers that maybe the, the first three or four times through or two or three times through they we didn't see anything that that, that worked for us but then you know sometimes that you know they get an issue and they get a better sense and they read some of the people that we publish and and then their writing kind of morphs a little bit and changes uh-huh. and 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 then and then now for some of them we Almost every time they submit something, there's something that works for us. So that's cool. It's uh it's interesting how our writers develop over time and just mm-hmm. and also how we how we develop over time as you know, as editors and, and, and how we think about things.
0: Yeah. yeah, well I hope we're all developing because if we're stagnant, that would be terrible. That's kind of dead. I wanna I wanna ask you since I mentioned Poets Laureate One of the Poets Laureate that I had the pleasure of doing a show with um, and he and I met through a writing contest um, that we were both judges for. Um, Sadly, he died um, almost two years ago. His name was Paul Ruffin. I don't know whether you ever encountered Paul. Paul Ruffin, R-U-F-F-I-N, and he died in April of 2016. He was the 2009 um, Poet Laureate of Texas, and he had this such a wit about him. It was so much fun, and so I'm just saying, because you're in Austin, if you haven't ever encountered his work, maybe it would be appropriate at some time if you do a little look in. To include some something that Paul wrote, just as a kind of shout out to one of the wonderful poets who has been part of Texas poetry. So,
1: just yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not familiar with this work, but um, I yeah, I'd I'd like to read it. I'm always looking to um read authors I'm not familiar with, so that's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what I remember, you know, now I'll have to go back and go like, man, am I making this up? But I, I'm pretty sure it was Paul, who some of his work was also like essays that were based on stories from tabloids, like the Enquirer or whatever they're called, you know, those those alien baby born and, you know, all those weird stories. So he would write about some of those things, too, which is like hysterical to me. But anyway, he's, he is a wonderful person. So there you go, all kinds of things going on all over. I'm I'm guessing being in Austin, man, that you're exposed to lots and lots of different kinds of art in terms of poetry, music, all of that, that there must mm-hmm. be a lot of people, you know, there, including people who say, hey, I'd like to be in your journal.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, we get a little bit locally from poets, but it's more... Um, there's there seems to be like there's different it seems like geographically there's different pockets of of areas of the country where where we tend to get more things than others and and not honestly not that much from Austin, surprisingly. Um we get a lot from the you know, California, Long Beach, LA area with poets like Fred Voss, John Job Smith, um um, Alexis uh, Ron right. bancher folks like that. And then the Pittsburgh area has just a uh, pleasure of amazing writers like Laurie's tequila, um, Dave Newman, Scott Stilze, Adam Macho. It's like, they're, it's kind of like the, the Pittsburgh poetry mafia.
2: Uh, that uh-huh. way that's like,
1: they're, they're, they're just incredible. Um, Jennifer uh, Berry, fantastic writer. We published a chat book by her. Um, so, so I think it's we tend to get things more across the country and and a and a mm-hmm. few from from international writers than we do mm-hmm. from from Texas writers, honestly. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah, and and I and I imagine some of that is who's connected to who. So somebody says, "Oh man, I just you know found this journal, Nerve Cowboy. It's got this amazing stuff going on, you know." And so they tell their friends and you know kind of that thing. Because I, I know how that works with me and guests for the podcast, you know, it's like there, I actually don't do many shows with people who are in my close middle of the country area anymore. Not that I wouldn't, but I get so many possibilities of people that are lots of different places. That's cool. So I want to, and you're uh, you're
1: you're in Lawrence, right?
0: I'm in Lawrence, Kansas, the middle of the country. You know, a, a much yeah. smaller version in terms of the university influence that happens here compared to the different things going on in Austin. But but some similarities, but but a much smaller community. Um, but lots of cool art stuff going on, of, you know, visual art, performance art, you know, poetry, of, of all those different kinds from the very academic that to me it's like I have no idea what that was about to you know somebody on a street corner who's doing spoken word that's really powerful kids doing poetry yeah. people taking poetry to the jail and and helping people find their words there all you know all kinds of stuff anyway
1: because so, because um oh I'm sorry um I was just going to ask it so you've um So have you seen any like William Burroughs inspired work and, you know, being from Lawrence or, and of course, and of course in Kansas, Chiron, you know, Chiron review is such a fantastic journal out of Kansas as well for Michael Hathaway.
0: And Burroughs lived in Lawrence for a while. One of my favorite in terms of that, the comment I made about Scott and and I, I keep plugging this like Scott, you have to do this anthology, but, um, there is an amazing poet in Lawrence named Jim McCrary, who was a young colleague of William S. Burroughs, amongst other things. And Jim writes really powerful poetry, and is he, like a lot of poets um, who I know. He's very much a you know community activist, and always has been, you know, really all about social justice. Is, you know, and amongst other things, you know, that, you know, might be environmental or, you know, which to me is also social justice. But anyway, so Jim McCrary is one of those people who's a colleague, uh, who was a young colleague of Burroughs. Um, and um, so we, we were talking, we're, I don't, we're not gonna, I don't see it happening this year, but two years ago, we did this William S. Burroughs night. And Jim Jim knew uh, Burroughs so well, so it was a real personal thing to, to do this. And his idea was, I don't want people telling their crappy stories about Burroughs. It's not, I don't want, you know, it's not like paying homage. It's, you know, people tell stupid stories and most of them aren't even true. I know because I was there, you know, kind of thing. But so we did this, and I'm saying this because you could do this too. It was a Burroughs-inspired evening. So it was people whose art was influenced either Um, in, you know, in directions that Burroughs pursued or against Burroughs, you know. there, There was a woman who did a reading that was from the perspective of Burroughs' wife who died, you know, from him shooting her whether you want to say it was on purpose or accident. Stories vary, but you know, um, so there was that reading. There, there were some very feminist readings. There were some, there was a reenactment of this thing called Junkie's Christmas. And, and it was just this wonderful eclectic set of art and artists doing things that that related in some ways to Girls. So long story that yeah, that's that's certainly one of our influences. And then you know we go in a very very different direction. Langston Hughes spent part of his childhood in Lawrence, so there are lots of different kinds of things. You know wherever we are, I want to back up where where I was headed before you asked me about Lawrence was. So you and poetry. I mean, you said you started. You were you were sending poetry off for publication in the nineties before you started um, Nerve Cowboy. What's what's poetry about for you personally?
1: Um, it's you know it's really about capturing a. For me, it's 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 the same poetry and song. is about ca- capturing an image, capturing a, a slice of time in a in a in a short piece. And so, so my poetry tends to be a little bit more narrative, and you know, you know, not rhyming at all. And and that's sort of what we go for in Nerf Cowboy too. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it's it for like for me, it's, how do you capture like just nail a moment. Whatever that moment happens to be, and it doesn't matter what that moment happens to be, but just being able to nail it with an economy of words, and, right. and so, you know, sometimes five five more words, you know, make the poem clumsy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or 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 sometimes the story is really compelling, and and the the writing might not be as tight, but the story is great, and it's and it's done in a way that that makes a lot of sense. And so so for me, it's about yeah, it's about creating sort of that that emotion in somebody that that it affects it affects you. You read it and it affects you. Um, one poem that strikes me that we got early on was about it was it was a poet Christopher Jones. I haven't gotten anything from him for probably two decades, but a long time ago, got this poem about the his mother going to church every week and being compelled to put money in the box every week, every week. And then, you know, she died of a horrible cancer. And it was like his perspective as a, as a son watching that happen. And just a really, really intense uh, poem. And it was called hate box, which was for the box that, that the money went in and, and, you know, and that was, that was that person's perspective, but it was intense. And they nailed it in a way that, that that a story probably couldn't have done, uh-huh. but a poem, you know, in one page, you walked away and you went, "Wow." Uh huh. Yeah.
0: So, do you have some of your poetry handy right now? Like, can you? Would you share some of your words?
1: Um, let me see. I have. Um, it's been a it's been a lot to be honest with you. It's been a long time since I've written. Mm-hmm. I've been. Um, now I play in a band called the Counterfactual. So I spend more of my time on um songwriting mm-hmm. and playing than than poet than poetry other than the editing aspect of it but let me let me see if I can find one that's that's good um i did a i did a book called w nine g r f and the dance that never ends and it's kind of a tribute to my dad who um who passed away about, you know, about 13 years ago, but, um, it's, it's sort of, he was in the Navy and, um, and some of the poems sort of, sort of touch on, on his life there. Uh Here's, here's one called The Only Thing. My father's oval silver WW2 dog tag with two holes punched in it. And a thumbprint on the back of it and the words, Frederick, William Shields, 4102, 157, T941, USNR, on the front of it, hangs from my neck every day. And sometimes there's nothing in the world that can calm the storm raging inside my beautiful eight-month-old baby daughter, Emmeline. Nothing except grabbing her papa's, papa's dog tag, chewing on it with her two front teeth with all the strength she has. That's
0: beautiful.
1: Um, here's a and then and then and then sometimes I'd write sort of um here's here's one called pile drivers and backbreakers about um about growing up in Wisconsin. Many moved our school. Many moved to our school in the fourth grade and because he was big, kind of fat, strong and an ox of a kid, he immediately asserted his dominant male position and began leaning on some of the smaller guys like me and Braden and Kotluski and six or seven other little shits. Many used to tell us to meet us in the southwest lawn of General Billy Mitchell grade school for what he called wrestling practice. Which consisted of us little guys lining up in single file while many practices all star wrestling moves on us. One by one, he would call us up and deliver punishing pile drivers and backbreakers. Pile drivers meant he held us upside down and plowed our heads into the ground. Backbreakers meant he held us in his arms like a baby and smashed our backs down on his knee. I hated the backbreakers worse than the pile drivers. Being held like a baby by that fat fucking Neanderthal many was more demeaning than any of the pain, which actually was inflicted on me. Many used to tell us that it was in our best interest to stand in line and accept our fate. He said, if anyone ran away, he would chase us down and beat us within an inch of our lives. Nobody ever ran. We just took it and walked home together about how one day we we're going and talked about how one day we we're going to catch that fat piece of shit off guard and bust his sack real good. Unfortunately, that day never came. Now, decades later, I'm trying to pick up my daughter. My back aches like a 90 year old man. I should have run. It was my only chance.
0: <laughs> yeah, childhood. Ooh,
1: man. <laughs> yeah. and, and also, being in Wisconsin, it was also like seven degrees outside.
2: <laughs> oh man.
1: So there's a couple from, uh, and that, those are from a uh, you know book W9GRF and the dance that never that never ends. But um.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. And so tell us about your music. I know it's it's hard to talk about music as opposed to play it. And and in the info about the show, we'll have a link to your music on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. But tell us tell us about your music since that's really
1: the art, the personal art that you're doing
0: a lot more of these days than writing poetry
1: yeah absolutely. um yeah so I'm in a band right now called the Cotter and it's it's a it's a whole lot of fun it's um i play with two with two social scientists that i that i work for work with or used to work with and then and then another guitarist and it's i guess it, i would i would characterize it as sort of like you know maybe um, along the lines of like our influences are Jason Isbell drive by truckers, Ryan Adams. Um, but it's, I, I would say it's, it's kind of in the guitar, you know, indie guitar rock realm. And, and it's funny, you mentioned Scott Silsby. We, we share, um, uh, audio back and forth. Cause he's, he's got a band called Pond Hockey with another poet, um, Bob Padgett. So, mm-hmm. but it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. We're, um, we just, you know, we just recorded some songs. We're writing some new songs. And, you know, sometimes we go into, we play every Monday in the lab and That's practice great. and write new songs. And uh-huh. it's a good, um, you know, it's a, it's a good artistic diversion from, you know, the regular day to day.
0: Yeah. But I'm also thinking with that name, Counterfactual, and with this current administration and and the taunts of fake news and
1: all this stuff I'd like so is yeah. some of your stuff
0: to, um in that political realm at this
1: point point. <laughs> mm-hmm. and three of us do three of us in the band do education research as our day jobs and so uh-huh. so so with, so with that like the counterfactual which is basically it's when there's a like a an intervention let's say somebody gets somebody is um provided with a um you know, reading support or math support or something. The counterfactuals—like, what would have happened if they didn't get that? Yeah. And so, right now, right now, um, our guitarist Eric came up with this really cool idea of, "Hey, let's each write a verse about what we'd be doing now if we weren't doing this,"
2: which is yeah. actually
1: what we are—the counterfactual. And so, uh-huh. right now, we're all working on different verses, and then we're going to come up with the chords and the and the progressions and everything for that song.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, because like for me that that whole okay, so so by by being by by trade, I'm a social worker and I work with people through really hard stuff and I believe that art is one of those really powerful ways that people get connected to other people in a sense of, somebody else gets what's going on for me, somebody else is up there, you know, on that stage, you know, in that book, whatever, on that in that painting, in that sculpture, is communicating things that are going on inside somebody else's head and heart. And then they know they're not alone, you know, that somebody else is talking about this in in that way. And there's this huge relief. I mean it's just to me, I, so much happens for people through that communication of art, whether they create it or whether at that point they're, they're audience only. You know, it's so important and powerful. And I love, you know, that, that idea. You know, if you if you all in your band didn't have that in your life, you know, who would you be? What would you be doing? How would life be different, you know? And and I think it's it's... I think about how I was taught about art in my schooling in a small town in the Texas Panhandle, um, versus how I perceive art as as a you know as an adult who encountered art and people creating art kind of late. I mean, I didn't pay a lot of attention for a long time and then it's like did and it's like this is so amazing and so important. Everybody needs art as early as possible, you know? You need that encouragement to be creative, to be expressive, to to find ways of saying things that are healthier and safer than some of the ways that people resort to when they don't get that encouragement to communicate in other ways. You know, it's it's,
1: it's so I, important. I, I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like, um Eric, our uh, guitar player, he, we start. we've been writing songs together for five years. And like the last two years we've really been like honing it down and, and getting to a recording level. But, um, but it's funny, like we started out in his, you know, his kitchen just drinking whiskey and trying to write songs and we weren't very good. And we've gotten a little bit better over time. But you mentioned your, your social worker. My wife is a psychiatric nurse. Mm-hmm. It, if you if you'd like me to read one more poem, um, yeah. and this was published in a magazine called Pitchfork eons ago, but um, but it sort of speaks to and uh, the what life is. It's a, you know it's sort of interesting, you know, when you like just what different people do for a living, and, and and sometimes you know you see them like in in a social situation, but you don't really understand what their day was like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this kind this kind of speaks to that. It's called Brad Pitt's mouth (laughs) with the entire nursing staff standing in front of him after a code one was called directing all available staff to the point of conflict, the short muscle bound African-American dude screamed, I'll break every motherfucking one of your fucking bones in every one of your motherfucking bodies. If you don't let me out of this shithole, right? Fucking now, Mary, a five-foot-tall nurse at the psychiatric hospital was mesmerized at the man's lips. They were Brad Pitt's lips, identical in every way. But instead of saying something funny like the doper he played in True Romance or the sexy-like role in an interview with a vampire, he yelled at the top of his lungs, I'm going to take my big fucking boot and smash it down your chest and break every motherfucking bone you have. Mary just kept watching those lips move. Those beautiful lips. Sometimes life is just so simple you could die and never know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, we encounter interesting stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I imagine you see some interesting things in your work.
0: Yeah, and and it's funny, and but uh, see, I I relate to I relate to that particular poem in the very literal way that that mm-hmm. I. I know that we all see things differently, that we see different, you know, that, that we make different meanings of things. We see, we hear, you know, all that. I, I get that. And I know, I, I get, I can remember conversations with, I have two sons who are now adults, but with, I remember saying to one of my sons, you know, so-and-so looks just like this other person, this person, this, this Dave, who's your basketball coach, looks just like, just like Katie's dad, Kevin. And my son is looking at me and it's like, Kevin's white. It's like, yeah, so, (laughs) you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. They look just alike. Yeah, their skin is different color. It's like, you're nuts, mom. It's like, okay, whatever. But I, you know, you see that in people, you know, I I did work on a a city, um, a city board with this, this african-american man who had to, he and his wife had they civil rights leaders in our community they did all kinds of things and every time i looked at ron all i saw was his mouth because his mouth reminded me of my russian grandfather's you know i, I get that the way we look at things and, oh, that's and it, it changes yeah yeah it's perfect <laughs>
1: That's very and and that was like (laughs) literally that that poem wrote itself from the standpoint of like Mary just came home and told me that
2: (laughs) yeah
1: yeah yeah (laughs) I was like well you know what that is that's a that's an interesting poem yes
0: yes yes it is that's cool does does your wife also create some kind of art intentionally or only through her storytelling
1: to you. No, just the story telling storytelling view, but uh-huh. she's super supportive of of what I uh-huh. do because
2: uh-huh. you know,
1: with the music and the magazine, it's pretty. It it's kind of, and also my day job, it's 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 yeah. pretty busy. So yeah, yeah. So, so
2: that's that's
1: that's that's one thing I wish. Um, I wish I could. If all I could do was the was the band and the um, in the magazine, that would be great. And then like
2: yes. we could get back
1: to people faster, and you know yeah. everything would be, but. That's and that's like when some people say, Hey, I submitted something to you on March twenty seventh. Um yeah. we I still haven't heard back from you. Can you let me know the status? Yeah. I'm like, I we don't log anything that comes in. We yeah. stick it in a stack, we circulate it, we read them, and then we yeah. get back to people and we try not to lose it. And usually yeah. we don't lose anything. But yeah, once they, uh, in a while Yeah. once in yeah. a while it's we're human, something can happen.
0: Yeah. yeah. Very true. So, what do you want people who haven't already discovered Nerve Cowboy? What What do you want them to know about it so that they'll be interested in in buying it, and reading it, and and savoring it, and possibly in submitting art to you?
1: I think yeah. I think the the one thing is we're we're very open to to new writers, to experienced writers, everything across the spectrum, and it's, and also don't give up if you don't get accepted the first time or the second time, you know, mm-hmm. just you know, continue writing, continue working on your craft. It's not that, and again, it's not that the poem wasn't good. It just, it didn't strike us, mm-hmm. but the next one might. Mm-hmm. And so, so I would say be persistent and, um, and just keep reading and writing. I mean, be continually be part of the, the process. And, and I'd say, you know, also not, not, not always right about the same thing, you know, just Mm -hmm. be, be diverse in your, in your content. When you guys are
0: putting together the magazine or planning, I, I don't know sort of what the process is, obviously. My, my question is at what point do you know sort of the, the, under the, the connecting thread that's going to happen from cover to cover and everything in between, because you have, again, you, you have visual art, you have music reviews, you have poetry, you have um, more prose poetry, you know, not just, you know, a certain look of poetry. How, how does it, how does it come together as this thing that this issue that, that is let's say that the coming up summer 2018 issue, how, how will you, how will you, know, and decide, like, what, what th- that theme is the only word I could come up with, but, you know what I mean, what the, what the connecting point is?
1: That's a great question, and, and, you know, we've never had that, we've never done it that way, uh-huh. it's just, it's just kind of like, it sort of cosmically comes together in terms uh-huh. of, um and, and maybe it's the, maybe it's the acceptance process is, it, it just happens to bring a certain Viewpoint together. I mean, if there's anything that we find, I mean, there's probably some things we publish that are offensive, but <laughs> I won't publish some. But I won't publish something that that I deem to be racist. I'm a or or, uh-huh. or anything that is offensive to me.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and so, so um so in terms of they they sort of just come together and sometimes sometimes the artwork I, i'll i just get a piece of artwork from we always get stuff from wayne hogan who's been a writer who's been publishing you know with us for since the first issue um and he's he's an older gentleman in, in tennessee and then we get we get stuff from um fred burtoff who's also a really interesting writer and he has he has some different prison themes and and other and other um, music and art themes in his writing. And then mm-hmm. Alexis is we connected with her recently, and she she's done these really poignant photographs that I think has yes. been one of the issues you have.
2: Yes.
1: Um, and then Kat, Catherine Hempel, um, who's the the wife of a friend of mine, she does this thing which is incredible. She's like inspirational, where she for this is the second year she's done it and she kind of does it she did it this year was kind of a a love and hope um kind of kind of year with the situation with with the environment we're in right now and she did a piece of art every day 365 days in a row in 2017 and we selected some that, that 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 um piece that's on the cover and on the back cover and then some black mm-hmm. and whites throughout are from Catherine. And mm-hmm. so so I think I think I'm thinking more lately I've been thinking more about the visual artists as well. Mm-hmm. As opposed to having that be more of a second thought of, oh, well where are they going to fit in? As opposed to that's a really important piece of the magazine now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and the two that that I'm looking at right here, the the summer issue with this beautiful color painting on the front and on the back. And then uh, that's the summer 2017 and the winter 2017 is black and white photography by Alexis Renfancher on the front and the back. And so so you're you're drawn in immediately, which as I say that, okay, so so I'm looking at this photograph of Alexis's that's on the front of the winter 2017 edition. And I am, am struck by, of course, Alexis has a poetry collection with the title Enter Here. And I love the image that's on the front of her book. And I love that that phrase, that simple phrase. And and that's what your covers are, you know, they're that invitation to enter into Nerve Cowboy. So it's Wonderful that you have that, and and you wouldn't get the same effect if this was something somebody was just looking at online. You just wouldn't.
1: You yeah. Know, so. Well, thanks. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you think that. Like the one, the one from Catherine from summer 2017. Uh-huh. Like that's that's her mental imagery of her husband playing guitar. So that's that's awesome. the name of that is like Kurt Str- Kurt Sturman guitar, uh-huh. and that's that's how it came out in her mind. That's cool. And then, um, and then Alexis's piece, she has, <laughs> she just has, um, and just a whole bunch of, just different, just different photos of, um, street photos, bar photos, restaurant mm-hmm. photos of just people. Mm-hmm. That I think she just has an incredible eye for that. And yeah, and, and you're right, she's a, she's also a really powerful writer.
0: Yeah. 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 So do you have some pieces from, from other writers that you wanted to share to give people a taste of some of the writers who have been published
1: in Nerve Cowboy? Um, sure. So in, um, so in the summer issue, uh, another, another writer that we're, that we're really fond of is Justin Hyde from Des Moines, Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa. I, I, I was, the, the S is silent, right? It is silent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, I've been to the Quad City. I, like I grew up in Wisconsin, so so I've kind of you know that, but I probably mispronounced it my entire life.
2: That's all
1: right. But um, but this one is um, this one here is called. She told me her mother slept with a snub revolver.
0: <laughs> oh man.
1: And it goes, my girlfriend and her mom. Went to take cans back and get hot dogs for dinner. I played a NASCAR game on the Xbox with her boyfriend. Rodney told me the bricklayers union had been thin and it had picked up in a month or two. He had big plans to build a deck up front. It was known that he'd beat her mother. At the time, there was a bruise taking color across her left cheek. The sleeves of his flannel shirt were rolled up, forearms of a bodybuilder love tattooed on the four fingers of his right hand their toilet was busted but he went to the neighbors to take a shit and i walked in their back bedroom it was there under the pillow i swung out the cylinder the chambers were full a garbage bag was taped over the cracked window the headboard was covered in a small pewter unicorns what are you doing in mom's room her four-year-old half-sister had been sleeping was standing in the doorway I wanted to see the unicorns, I said, sliding the revolver tight down my thigh and back under the pillow. This is her favorite. She grabbed one. and She held it out in her palm. There was a deep groove worn on its side. She showed me how her mother rubbed it back and forth with her thumb and for good luck.
2: Wow.
1: It, yeah, oh God, it, I mean, it's, it's just like... And that was, yeah. and that's one of the, we kind of opened the issue with, with some of Justin's poems just because they're uh-huh. just really, you know, straightforward, hard-hitting poems. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. We get, oh, the Beagle, Beagle's chasing uh-huh. me around the yard right now. Sorry. That's fun. Um, and I'd say, um, like, do you, do you want me to find another one? Sure. Okay. Um, And this is from the winter 2017 issue, number 42. Um, Let's see. I like this poem. Um, It was, uh, it's a bit of a, do you have time for a longer one or would you like a shorter one?
0: We have time. We're good.
1: Okay, um, this is from Dave Newman um, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, it's funny, Dave, Dave was in our second issue, I believe, of Nerve Cowboy, and he's um, published several books since and, and has, uh, has been in many issues. But um, so he's, he's been kind of with us from the beginning. And this one's called Mr. Wilson Fights Fair. Mr. Wilson had two daughters. And one of them took a lot of acid. This was nineteen seventy nine or so and lots of people were on acid, but not Mr. Williams, not Mr. Wilson. He drove a truck and drank canned beer and lived across the street from us. I was eight. My parents weren't on acid. They were they weren't on anything, not even canned beer. I was in the street when a van pulled up. It was close to dinner. Kids threw a tennis ball over the electrical wires and called Pops Up. I pushed the new catcher mitt to my nose and smelled the oil. Mr. Wilson stood on the porch with Diane, the daughter who liked to eat acid. The van sported a gray primer paint job, mag wheels, and tinted windows. The guy driving it was Diane's boyfriend. He dressed in jeans and a t-shirt and work boots. Pay attention to the work boots. Pay attention to Mr. Williamson in his socks, his big toe sticking through a hole like a mole coming into light. Diane was 17, her boyfriend older, already bald on top, red ponytail down his back. By older, I mean 21 or 22 and a mechanic. The engine on the van split terribly black smoke on purpose out of chrome pipes. Mr. Wilson leaned over the railing on his porch and said, she's not leaving with you. The boyfriend leaned against the primer van. He didn't look high. He looked pissed. The opposite of the goofy acid look I saw on teenagers' faces. Nobody threw the tennis ball or even talked. I wished I had my knife. I had a knife. I never used my knife. But I'd been in fights, one for 40 minutes, and come home with more blood on my shirt then shirt. An older teenager, eighteen or nineteen, or even twenty, made me hold lip firecrackers until they exploded in my hand and turned into a black a blue black sky of pain. My dad owned a belt and used it. My mom owned a belt and used it. Certain things I already knew. You want your ass kicked? the boyfriend asked. mister Wilson came off the porch. Diane cried and then screamed and then ran inside the house. It was like we were invisible, all of us, and our ball, and our cheapo leather mitts. Kick his ass, Mr. Wilson, someone said, an older kid. It was that time in America. People admitted to liking violence, and they rooted for their neighbors to win. Mr. Wilson moved to the lawn and said, She stays. Diane stepped back on the porch, all her clothes stuffed in a black trash bag like her whole life belonged to the curb. The boyfriend said, You get your, then you get your ass kicked. Mr. Wilson put up his dukes. He was probably 40-ish, my age now, out of shape from the hours in his truck and all the canned beer and the truck stop hamburgers. Diane said, Daddy, don't. And, Daddy, I hate you. I told my parents I hated them yet. I hadn't told my parents I hated them yet because I loved them. They were my parents, and they didn't fight people on the front lawn. My mom had cleaned the blood from my fighting shirt and iced my nose with a bag of frozen vegetables. My dad sometimes put his arm around me and left it there until I felt like it would stay. Diane said, Daddy, it's my fucking life. Her boyfriend said, It's her fucking life. Mr. Wilson said, Let's go. And they went. Mr. Wilson did a dance like an old-timey boxer, and then he got kicked square in the nuts. There was a loud thud and then a gasp for air. People didn't kick each other in the nuts in America in 1979. Diane screamed. Mrs. Wilson came to the front door and tried to pull her daughter back inside. Kick his ass, Mr. Wilson, someone yelled. And then everyone yelled it. And Mr. Wilson pushed himself from the brown grass of his front lawn and did his boxer dance. And got kicked square in the nuts again and dropped to the lawn like a man with his testicles up in his stomach. Diane retched her mom into a headlock on the porch. Other parents stepped outside and watched from their own porches now. My mom appeared at our front door and I pretended not to notice. And Mr. Wilson on his knees, cupped his balls through his jeans, then stumbled to his feet. The boyfriend said, haven't you had enough? Mr. Wilson righted himself, like a country on the verge of collapse, like a country about to finish, giving away all its factory jobs to the other countries and quit paying its truck drivers a decent wage and the mother Mrs. Wilson still in the headlock was going to have to get a full time job even though she wanted to stay home with her other daughter and make sure that daughter never ended up on acid and in love with a young man who drove a primered van Mr. Wilson did his dance I looked at his feet in socks no shoes no boots I watched his toe lone puppet in the grass Mr. Wilson said, take off your fucking shoes and fight me like a man. The boyfriend contemplated that for a few seconds sincerely, like a fair fight. might even involve removing his boots. Then he kicked Mr. Wilson in the nuts for the third and final time. So Mr. Wilson gasped and bent at the waist, finally falling to his knees, then leaning back, his face to heaven, like people did in church, when the answers could not be found in this world. And Diane, his daughter, released her mother from the headlock and grabbed her trash bag life and ran for the van where her boyfriend revved the engine and black smoke clouded the street. Off our porch in the street, my mom took my arm to lead me away, but I turned back to the fight. Mr. Wilson stayed down, mouth open, but without making noise. Mr. Wilson came to him. My mother said, let go, and yanked my arm up up high, so I stumbled when I walked. All anyone wants to be is safe. To be safe and prosper, good kids, small house, money in the bank for emergencies, no one fighting for their family on the front lawn. But the fighting wasn't over, not that night or ever. In the next election, everyone will vote Republican. In 10 years, my dad will lose his factory job and our house will sell for shit. And grown men with trades will start working with teenagers in fast food restaurants. And women with college degrees will go back to waiting tables. And by the time the country starts to vote Democrat again, it won't matter. Everyone will be kicking each other in the nuts and bragging about the size of their boots. From Dave Newman from Trafford, Pennsylvania.
0: That's so powerful in this time in particular. And I don't know when that poem is mm-hmm. going to happen, but It's like, oh my God, this is... That that is how the world in the United States is, how the administration in the United States is is treating this set of people yeah. following going yeah this president, oh my god everybody so like, had to the, read this film and think
1: that's the kind of stuff that just like now just hits us and like wow that's, yeah that's incredible that's incredible I wish yeah. I'd written that that's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a story in a certain time, but it's also a timeless story that tells us we have to pay attention. We have to all do what we can to make this a better world. You know, person to person, we've got to do things. We can't just be complacent.
1: Yeah, because that story was probably like uh, a Reagan era like a, a Reagan-era story.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, people,
0: listeners, that is one piece of art, one poem from one issue of Nerve Cowboy. So I encourage you to check this out, you know, to buy an issue, to to become familiar, to consider sending in your art for consideration for an issue. Um, I, this is, I mean, it's what you're doing is really powerful. And it swings back to me to, to the, the name, you know, that, that writing that last nerve, you know, the power that, of that image, you know, of, of how intense it is. That's, I think what art is about, it's about waking us up. It's a call to action. It's bringing us together, you know? So I, I'm i so glad that we got to do this show. Um, this has been Talk With Me with Joseph Shields, who along with his close friend, compadre, um, Jerry, is it Hagins?
1: Higgins, Higgins
0: yeah. Was, the was, Higgins, that you guys founded Nerve Cowboy back in 96. And here it is, 2018, and you're getting ready for issue 44. You all are putting out two a year. So um, it's something that people can can be looking for, can savor, and again, can send work uh, possibly for inclusion if it's the kind of work you do. And certainly can send the money to subscribe to get those additions and have the chance to really explore what is in an issue of nerve cowboy. And we're, pl-
1: so, we're planning to run the, we're, we're planning to run the, um, the cowboy through issue 50. Um, and, then we're, and then we're, and then we're probably going to shut things down then other, other than maybe some, some occasional things after that. But one thing we are going to do is once we get through the 50th issue, which would be 25 years of Nerve okay. Cowboy. We're going to have a, uh-huh. a best of the early years and a best of the latter years. So kind of split it in, in the first 12 and a half years and the second 12 and a half years. So so a lot of people uh-huh. that maybe hadn't, hadn't read many of those folks that had been in the early issues, you know, that, that were amazing poems that maybe just vanished or disappeared because they appeared in a really small magazine with a 200 distribution. That's very. Um, cool. They that can get, they that can kind of get um, resurrected a little bit.
0: Yeah, so people can go on Facebook to Nerve Cowboy to get a, a you know, sort of a basic touchstone um, in terms of how to connect about this magazine, and then you, in the announcement of the show, will be able to find a link for music. Um, that is Joseph Shield's music, which which is gonna be another awesome thing to for people to get exposed to. And again, I, I want to say thank you, joseph, for for joining me for this edition of talk with Me.
1: Well, thank you, Marcia. It was really fun. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you invited me to be on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, yeah, you are very welcome. And thanks to Daniel Smith, who produces the show because he's the one who makes it possible. And great punctuation by that lovely beagle in the background.
1: So long to our listeners. He's still still chasing that squirrel he's been chasing for seven years.
0: All right. Good dog, man. Good dog. And so long to all. I know you enjoyed this.